Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for yet another pre-season Supercoach episode. This one is going to be all Dolphins. So we are going to talk about the Dolphins and their pre-season preview for 2023. I only know one Dolphins fan, so I thought it would be better to get a Dolphins fan on rather than uh, try and get somebody else to talk about them. Kane Anderson uh, is a co-creator of the Podmasters League. He uh, got all the podcasters together for the Podmasters League, which is fantastic. And everyone gets to compete and chat and do lots of fun stuff. It's also a great resource to be able to see all the different podcasts that are available. So you can check out the Podmasters page or follow him on Twitter. But Podmasters has also got a, a podcast that started up as well now, Kane. So you're kind of doing everything. Oh, there's a lot, lot of all different stuff going on. Also, the um, Supercoach Hub. Um, admin is for that as well. So yeah, quite a lot of work going on into that. They're, they're doing their own podcasts in there as well. So yeah, plenty of competitions going on. And yeah, you can follow us on all the different socials, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, it's very busy time. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Kane, like I said, you are the only Dolphins fan that I know. Why don't you tell us, first of all, before we ever go, into, how did you end up going, you know what, I'm going to go for the Dolphins. I was originally a North Sydney bear. So I grew up on the central coast where the, the bears were here all the time. They were doing a lot of training days, gala days, school events. So I was exposed to the players a lot when I was growing up. So that got the, the passion for the bears going and yeah, got right into supporting them. And then when they merged with Manly to become the Northern Eagles, I even bailed on that. Uh, I remember looking at the team list for like round two and thinking there's like three bears in this squad. I'm, I'm out of here. I don't want to borrow this anymore. So I haven't had a team to follow for about 20 years. When they originally got kicked out, I kind of just supported Andrew Johns for a couple of years because he was my favorite player. And then when he retired, I didn't really support anyone. And that's when Supercoach came along. So having Supercoach has been my little thing to keep me going in the rugby league for the last 15 years but um, recently obviously the the Dolphins have come in and I kind of felt like it was time to actually support someone again and I'm not the kind of person to jump on a bandwagon so I I didn't want to go and start supporting the Panthers for example which I could have my old man was a Panther and he just passed away a couple of years ago so there's a bit of sentimentality there but no I didn't didn't want to jump on any bandwagons and have people give me a bit of crap about it. So I decided I'd go and jump on the new team, uh, whatever that was. So I'd kind of committed to whoever got the license I was going to support. And then when the Dolphins got their bid and they signed Wayne Bennett and that I was already committed. So it didn't matter whether it was Bennett or someone else I was in. And yeah, it's been a, an awesome ride. I've enjoyed the whole signing of every new player that's popped up. There's been a few good ones, a few less good ones, but yeah, there's even been a quite a lot of the gun players there that we missed out on, so to speak, that I was happy to miss. So, you know, there's quite a bit of a mixed bag there, but um, look, I'm not expecting the world out of them this year, but hopefully we can just put up a bit of a fight throughout the most of the season and start to build into the next few years because there's a lot of really gun juniors coming through. Yeah, you've got some good young guys, which is good. And I think those signings were important and probably one of the big things that Bennett will leave his stamp on. Definitely. And one of the reasons that he probably came in as well. So, I mean, look, I've got to get the elephant out of the room, first of all. Here we go. I'm going to call them Redcliffe at least 17 times during this podcast yeah. because I cannot believe that there is a team just called the Dolphins and they have no geographical name or value to the NRL. And I can't even believe the NRL allowed it. I'm... I'm not going to get on my soapbox about this one. I'll wait for a talking footy podcast in round one or something to to smash the Dolphins PR and marketing team in the NRL. But, uh, mate, how can you just be called the Dolphins? <laughs> it is annoying. I, I don't like it. It's It was one of those things where when it was first announced, I was pretty filthy about it. And I, in my mind, I'm like, no, this is just, they're, they're still working it out. They're, 
They're just going with the dolphins. They're figuring out what the best, best region is going to be for them to be called and they'll add it on later on. But then time just kept going by and it just didn't happen. And now we're still just the dolphins. But look, teams change their names all the time. It, I imagine at some point there will be a geographical location to it, but I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of over it now anyway. It's been long enough for me to just move on from that. Yep. And, uh, let's get onto the footy sort of thing. Well, let's have a look at their draw. Uh, that's going to be one of the big things and keys for Supercoach for them because obviously they're a brand new team, they're a brand new club. It's going to be quite a big emotional start to the season for them. They have the first three out of four games at home, which is always nice for Supercoach. It's not as good when you look at the draw, though. So certainly round one, they kick off against the Roosters at home. And look, the Roosters didn't look great in the trials that we've had so far, but they haven't had, you know, they've been missing 50% of their team anyway. Uh, So there's that. And look, I think the Roosters could very well put a a cricket score on them or maybe the Dolphins kind of stand up and grind, but it's going to be very hard to get a win there. And then they've got the Canberra Raiders, which is at home, which is a lot easier than travelling down to GOA Stadium, which is quite a trek for the Dolphins because they are based in Redcliffe. I'll just get that in as one of my 17. Um, and, uh, then they hit the Newcastle Knights. So the Knights one shapes is a bit easier, but it's unfortunate they can't get that one at home because that would actually be a pretty good matchup for them. But travelling in Newcastle, uh, a bit rougher. Then they got the local derby, the, the Brisbane Broncos travel not very far yep. to play them. So that first month, it's pretty average. Uh, it's not the worst, but it's definitely not good. And then they do have a bit of relief from round five where they hit everyone's favourite Supercoach team currently to play against, and that's the Dragons. They have firmed after that Charity Shield performance as being the team that definitely. you want to play. So that's good. Cowboys away is bad, but then again, they don't have to travel very far. So they do have that. And then they round the first two months off with South Sydney Rabbitohs at home and, and the Titans at home. So I guess you'd kind of say it's a little bit... It's very up and down. It's a little bit tough. Yeah, very up and down. They do have their first buy in round 11 too. So it's it's sort of annoying, but if you want to go glass half full, they do play that major buy that's coming up first. So I think that the draw could have been easier for the Dolphins, particularly when you consider their roster and also the fact that it's their inaugural year in the in the NRL. How did you kind of see the draw, and, and how do you see it for Supercoach? I haven't spent too much time going into what the draw actually looks like for them, just because realistically I don't own that many Dolphins. So I, I haven't really kind of delved right into it to go, okay, I want this player for this period and this player for that period sort of thing. It's been more just a like the only dolphin I think I've got at the moment is Tom Gilbert and I'm not even sold on that at this point. So yeah, the the fact that they start with the Roosters is rough. I I was found it quite funny that they brought us in as the new Broncos rivalry and then the first thing the Dolphins do is go and create a rivalry with the Roosters who are the premiership favorites with the Panthers. <laughs> it's like that's a great way to start the season we'll just go and take on one of the best teams in the comp and make it personal while we're at it (laughs) but um yeah there's a couple of update games a couple of down games there like you mentioned um north queensland and not being as much travel that's still a pretty big flight up to townsville even from um where we are in brisbane so yeah anyway it's not great but i don't own that many so i'm not really worried about it (laughs) I've got them penciled in as finishing bottom four. I know you probably won't like that. I know you've been a pretty good advocate of them definitely avoiding the wooden spoon. How do you feel about their range? Because I, I feel like their range is really it's 13 to 17 for me. And, and I really think that it's probably bottom three, even if I'm being realistic about it, which isn't bashing the Dolphins either, because for a startup team, it's always going to be really tough that first year because you don't have a lot of time in the NRL to sign guys. Yeah. And, and that's the big issue, isn't it? Is that we weren't, given any extra time to make early signings to be able to start building that team and have some sort of um, assistance in that regard. We didn't get it. That's fine. We kind of move on from that. It is what it is. We'll build for future. And like, we've got a lot of experienced heads and that sort of thing in the team, which are essential in a startup. We've got a lot of young guys, which are also essential in a startup. So the, the balance is there. It's just a matter of trying to get it working going forward. Yeah, and I guess for me, I have 
defended them a little bit in that I think that on a on a roster value, like if you looked at that roster, like if you put that roster into a Titans jersey or a Dragons jersey, and I don't mean to pick on those couple clubs, but those clubs haven't been successful of late. A Tigers jersey last year, just to throw a few clubs in there, so I'm not picking on anyone in particular. You know, some of those bottom teams, if you threw this roster onto them, you would say, well, they're going to get flogged and they're going to get killed every game. Yeah. Uh, and look, I think that would be fair. I think the thing with the Dolphins is so that people need to remember that there is a lot more motivation, there's a lot more fanfare, and there's a lot more emotion into that first year for the club, for the fans, and all the players. And when you have a coach like Wayne Bennett, it's actually perfect because Wayne Bennett will really instill that, I think. He'll pump it And what you might find, he'll pump it for sure. And all those guys are going to have huge pride. And you've got a lot of guys coming across who have spent their whole career somewhere else, like the Bromwich brothers, for example, plus others. Uh, you also got guys that you are probably going to say are on their way out and they're going to have a point to prove. Now, I expect by sort of round 20, they're going to look pretty bad. But certainly for the start of the season, I think those guys are really going to stand up because they're going to have a point to prove. And you might actually find, I don't think that's going to equate to wins, but you might actually find that a game where you think they're going to lose by 40, they only lose by a dozen points and it's a lot more competitive. And it might actually be pretty bad for Supercoach too because they could get Bennett and combined with you know everything I said about how the players are, are feeling at the start of the season, everything to grind things out a little bit and really be hard defensively and workers and do the fundamentals because really they don't have much attack or flash that they can, yeah. you know, do. That, that's kind of what I've been promoting myself. Like I expect them, like you said, to finish in the bottom four. I well and truly believe that they'll finish in the bottom four. My aims for the year is I want to just see them fight. I want to see them do what the the Bulldogs did a few years ago when they were no good, but you didn't just turn up and flog them. You had to work to get the win. If if they're losing games 20 to 10, um, that's fine because they're in the contest, they're fighting to the very end. There's no give up. And it's the it's the give up that sets the bad culture. And that's where teams like, without picking on too many teams, but like the Tigers the last few years have had periods where they just give up and then they get a big score put on them and then they rock up the next week and their heads are still down and they've given up in that game as well and they put up another score on them. So, yeah, I want to see them fight for the 80 minutes. I want to see that their defence works hard in all areas. Just all those little things, as much as we probably won't get those wins, I want to make sure that the team itself is doing all those little things right to make sure that the systems are in place for when we do get a few more names coming in that they can slot in and it will actually improve the team as a whole and they can actually be competitive. Yeah. Yep, that's and that's what you want. Even as um, some of the new fans coming on board and some of the existing Dolphins fans, that's I think what uh, a lot of pundits are kind of aiming for to be competitive and have the right attitude and to build for the future seasons. I think they'll do that in the first uh, couple of months for Supercoach. So for their Supercoach relevance, like I, I, that middle period with the Origin, they might have some value, but they do have aside from the round eleven buy, they do then have the round sixteen buy. I think from round 16 onwards, I, I think for Supercoach, you're going to be relatively worthless. And that's just because of the roster that they have. And also the point of the season, that final third is going to be a pretty tough final third for them. Yeah. But the first couple of months, you know, I did mention the draw briefly, but they, they do stay in Queensland six of the first eight weeks. And they are going to have some young guys that they may very well blood. So let's talk about the Supercoach options and go to that straight away. O'Sullivan's the only guy that qualifies as an actual gun. So I know O'Sullivan well. I really liked him uh, coming through the Roosters as a junior. I'm not going to like say it's like a Sam Walker when I saw him playing lower grades and stuff. Um, but uh, no, not quite. He was he was quite lauded, you know, as a player. You know, I remember a few halfbacks coming through these last couple of decades. Um, you had guys like Jamie Soward, and certainly O'Sullivan was was pretty highly regarded. Really, now O'Sullivan didn't work out at the Roosters. Ended up, I thought he was actually going to go better at the Broncos, but he ended up at the Panthers and playing a bit of a backup role during origin period in particular, but certainly when they had injuries and so forth. And I have to say, he did play quite a few games. So with someone like him, you kind of think, oh, look, he probably only had spot starts here and there. Look, he averaged 62 points a game in 78 minutes a game, and he played 11, and all those were in the halves. So you do have a really good indication as to how he's going to go. And look, some people will say, 
is played for the Panthers and stuff, that's totally fair. Certainly there might be some inflation there. I think one of the positives, though, is that some of those games as well, you know, it was a pretty skeleton Panthers outfit, which is why he was in there as well. But when you have a look at how he scores his points, he's coming off 62 points a game. How he was scoring the points, he had a 25 raw base, which for a half is, is pretty decent, actually better raw base than what Nathan Cleary did last year. His base attack was non-existent, though. So 31 base, base attack. Um, his great creativity is where he's going to get his points. He's going to get it from his try assists, his line break assists, and he's got a really quite an astute kicking game. So for super coach, uh, look, he could be a 60s player, potentially. That's the sort of upside he has. He's still a relatively young man. And really, the last two seasons, he's played his most first grade, and it was 11 and 12 games. That can work both ways, right? It could be that he gets his first full crack. He knows it's his team. He knows it's his jersey. And at his age, maybe he really blossoms. And certainly some people will say, you know, it's after your mid-20s that you even hit your prime as a halfback. And Peter Sterling's a big proponent of that theory as well. So maybe we actually see the best of Sean O'Sullivan. The problem is with Sean O'Sullivan is that he's already priced at 62. Correct. So mm-hmm. for super coach, you look at it and go, well, he's the gardener of the team, but he's 653000 He's also in a halfback spot only, which there's far too much value there. He's 1% owned, so there's obviously some Dolphins fans that decided to jump on. You couldn't possibly do it. If I was going to pick the highest scoring Dolphin, you know, I, he may very well be it, though. Uh, I don't think his ceiling's much higher than what he's showed, though it might be up to 70 points a game if he really blossoms, but a lot will need to go his way. He isn't really an option to start with at all. And I don't even know if he's going to be an option during the season, although I will pinpoint, you know, that first big buy, as potentially a swap in, swap out that might be quite savvy. Yep. Uh, but uh, O'Sullivan, top point scorer potentially for you guys this year? He'll be up there, definitely. Uh, in terms of upside, he's got one of the higher levels of upside. Um, guys like um, people will always bring up the hammer as someone who's got the high upside, but he's got the very low, low side that we're well aware of. Um, but the, for, through the rest of the squad, there's not many others that you can look at and go, oh, they, they can easily crack a 60. Someone like uh, who we're going to bring up shortly, Aiken could have, crack to 60 if he's playing on an edge but playing at center i don't see him reaching those heights um kenny bromwich and kafusi have never been consistently around that mark like the the rest of the guys are all kind of not super relevant the only other one is jeremy marshall king who had a really good year last year and the issue for me with that is i don't know exactly how wayne wants him to play does he want him to still be the ball running nine that he was doing a lot of at the dogs quite successfully, I'll add. Um, so I, th- I think between O'Sullivan and Jeremy Marshall King are the, probably the top two. And then, yeah, potential for a couple of the forwards, like maybe a Gilbert or something like that, that can be a solid mid to late fifties average sort of guy. But yeah, I don't see too many more going over 60. Well, for O'Sullivan, he had six out of his 11 games that he started in the halves last year. He actually went 70 plus. So that's yep. that's quite reassuring. What I would say to finish off on O'Sullivan is draft. Uh, I think that he's going to hold a lot of value in draft because I think everybody's going to completely stay away. They will stay away. You'll get him pretty late. And I, I reckon you pre- pretty safely get a mid-50s sort of average, I believe. Yeah, his base is really good uh, for a half. His base is quite good. And he's always going to, like, with paired with Milford at the moment in the halves, he's going to have a lot of the general play kicking. And I expect a yep. lot of forced dropouts. Uh, and especially with the game plan that they'll have, like I said before, they're going to probably grind a little bit. And they're going to go for those repeat sets and different things. I think he's going to yep. get a lot of sneaky points. So O'Sullivan in draft becomes a real value proposition. And I, I think that you'll get at least a couple of rounds of value out of O'Sullivan. So especially when the halfback stocks dry up Definitely. and when everyone's reaching for those halfbacks early on, O'Sullivan could be a real good fallback option or a strategic target option later in the middle rounds. And you'll probably get him. If Osako is not playing, then he probably becomes the goal kicker as well. Well, exactly. And I was going to ask you about that because I wasn't too sure, but uh, I've, I've got O'Sullivan penciled in as a goal kicker as well at the moment. And look, he kicked a few goals last year, but full-time goal kicker too, even for a side that doesn't get a lot, might, might not get a lot of points, it still should add an extra six points of value to him at minimum. Definitely. Uh, and maybe as much as 10 with the better goal kickers. Yeah, so, so if you expect like his attacking stats to drop down a little bit going from the Panthers' premiership side down to the Dolphins' 
at down the bottom of the table that say 10 points you've lost there if he's goal kicking then he makes that back up pretty quick yeah exactly look we need to talk about a fallen gun for the dolphins of which you know is quite a few of them but the main one to talk about of relevance for super coach is going to be the guy that you mentioned a little while ago you and aitken yep so you and aitken is coming over from the warriors he's coming over having averaged 56 points a game in 2022 which i will say is very disappointing Um, So I'm happy to put my hand up and say I thought that he was going to be significantly better. Uh, I thought he was going to be a a 60s average and like a 65-plus average. And there was even a chance that he could go in better than 65. But I thought 65-plus was banked in. And he was a a centre wing, dual with second-row forward, who was starting on an edge as a second-row forward. And he played there just about the whole year. Now, to be fair, he had some... Uh, middle games where he played some lower minutes, which didn't help him, like a 59-minute and a 54-minute. Yep. That didn't help his average of 56 points per game. It still only projects to about 58 a game, though. And over the last five years, he's really been a, a, he's been a 49 to 56 guy. Four out of those five has been 50s. But what that all converts down to, mate, is unfortunately for, for you and Aiken, he's going back to the centres. So the appeal of last year that I had is completely gone with him. And Definitely. He's going to lose all of that base that he was getting. And and he's also he's also a jewel still, which is good. But at 585000 you, you will get what you pay for you and Aiken. That's one thing to say about him. Um, but I think probably the best relevant year to have a look at him, you know, if you go back to 2021, he, he did have six games at centre and they weren't great games. But if you do go back to 2020, and I know it's a long time ago, but you've got to remember that he moved, obviously, to the edge last year full-time. Um, 2020 gives you an insight as to the sort of upside that someone like you and Aitken can have. He had a th- he played the entire year, aside from two games, where he came off the bench to start the year as a centre. And in those games, he was fantastic with his base, and that was one of the things that really made people interested in Aitken. He had a 57 average at centre there, uh, and that only included four tries in 15 games. But his floor was fantastic. He had a 38 base, and then he had a 50-plus base-base attack. So he was getting 50-plus in base-base attack without any attack at all. And I think people need to remember when I'm looking at these stats, the Dragons weren't any good. So, I mean, you can say that from his four tries, but he also had hardly any try assists and stuff. So he didn't have any clutch attack either. So those stats really translate quite well to the Dolphins. You could even make the argument that because of the team around him um, and, again, the way they might come out firing and stuff and the fact that he's got probably a point to prove, he he could come out and have a bit of a throwback year to a few years ago and be a bit better at least for the first couple of months. So he might average 60s to start with. The problem is that there's just no value when he's already priced at that mid-50 mark. So, yeah. you know, you're not going to bother with the the five points of value and the nice floor is good, but he just doesn't have that upside unless he's going over for a huge amount of tries. And that's just not you and Aitken. And it's probably not going to be the Dolphins. So I've loved you and Aitken as a player. I've talked him up as a, as a really good signing for the Dolphins. I think he will be great for them. Yeah. Unfortunately, the super coach, he, he might be a gun cane. Do you think he'll get back to the sixties at least? Nah, I don't see him getting back to sixties. Not at center. I think he's getting a bit older. He's getting a bit slower. I don't know that the work rate's going to be the same going back out to the centers that he was getting in the back row. I just feel like he was getting uh, a lot more runs, making more tackles in that position. So his base was way higher. And usually the trade-off for going from a back row to a center spot is the base drops down a little bit, but the attack goes up a little bit. I actually think his attack's probably not going to change all that much because he scored a few tries playing on that edge for the Warriors last year and had a little bit of attack there from memory I don't have the numbers in front of me but I I don't feel like that attack is going to be increased all that much and I feel like his base is probably going to drop that little bit so I'm probably putting him sort of low 50s yeah and that's probably it's probably pretty fair based on where he's been in his career and and everything else he might have some value if he gets uh, a little bit cheaper towards that major buy that that might be a decent decent go also, if there's an injury to a Kenny Bromwich and they shove him back into the back row or something like that, then that could become an interesting option. Yeah, because he could easily drop to below 500 and then be, and then become a, a full-time edge back rower. And that's when you sort of pounce yeah. on those type of guys to give you a bit of a floor foundation in those centre wing spots. Definitely. So not for round one. That'll be a common theme throughout the podcast talking about Dolphins, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but up and coming guns. 
Uh, this guy has been relatively popular, at least to talk about, but his ownership is pretty high up there at 13% as well. Tom Gilbert, 494,100, dual front row forward, second row forward. Now, I've spoken a lot about on this podcast about how difficult that front row forward spot is and how a lot of people are looking for that 400 to 500 type range in expense guy to put there rather than spending too much. And he fits that bill perfectly, and that's why he's probably 13% owned. Gilbert's... I am going to do a complete disservice to here, Kane. So I'm going to let you have a minute and tell me, you know, why I might be wrong. But I don't see it with him. I think that he's a good signing. He's projected to be the starting 13. And the big thing for Supercoach is a lot of it comes down to numbers. He played 22 games last year, so a good sample size. And he played 58 minutes a game. As a starting 13... I don't think he's going to get, you know, 65 or 70 minutes a game. He's certainly not going to get 80. So how many more minutes can he possibly get? He's already edging towards 60 minutes a game on his price point from last year at the Cowboys. So for that, you're getting 47 points a game. And then you have to ask yourself, well, how much growth is there? The Cowboys attacked quite well last year and he got virtually nothing out of that. His average of 47 includes a raw base of 44. And look, that's quite nice because you need to consider that a lot of his games, the vast majority were actually on an edge. So, yeah, he could get a better work rate when he's in the middle, but his edge work rate was pretty quite good at a raw base of 44. And his base attack wasn't yeah. there. And generally the base attack is better on the edge than what it is in the middle, you know, and, and he didn't have any anyway. So maybe his, you know, raw base goes up to a 48, and people need to remember that's a full 10% increase. Uh, but his minutes just aren't going to go high enough. So... I see him as a bit of a plotter, really. Um, a really good signing to solidify the Dolphins and a good young forward to get in for years to come. But I'm I'm not a fan of, of jumping on him. I think he'll be okay. He's not going to kill you. But I just don't think that there's really any reason to, to have him for round one. I tend to agree. Uh, I do have him in my team at the moment, but it's not a locked-in-place sort of spot. I have a few other people that I'm interested in. But for him... Most of his value is for the Dolphins themselves rather than super coach wise. I think going to the middle, he probably plays similar minutes to what he was playing last year. Being in the middle, he might still increase that base from his 42 that you mentioned before, but it's still only going to push him into the 50s. I, I don't see any upside to him at the moment. He could probably increase his value a little, but it's probably not going to be enough to warrant it. So I, I am looking at potentially getting someone else in, but um, yeah, I think he's going to be great defensively in the middle of the field for the Dolphins and him partnered up with Ray Stone is going to help solidify that middle. Um, but yeah, I even with the dual position, it's just still not enough for me. I'm probably not going to have him by the time we get to TLT. Yeah. And people probably need to consider the downside as well. Like, you know, we're talking about him maybe maintaining. He's coming over from the Cowboys to the Dolphins on 58 minute average per game. He may very well get 50. Like it's 50 minutes isn't low for a 13. And for Wayne Bennett, he he might do that. And if he does that, it's just going to completely kill him. I think, you know, unfortunately he's about 100K overpriced to look at being a, a really good option. Yeah. We didn't even get to really see much because they took him off early in the trial last weekend. So we, we didn't even get to see if he's going to try and push him for 60 mm. minutes or not. Because from memory, he only played 35, 40 minutes. So we don't even really know what the the plan is for him. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a risk that there could be some downside and he does even lose money from where he is if he's not getting enough. And one of the big things with Supercoach is if you're going to have quite a, quite a bit of downside where it's going to be a really bad pick, you'd want to have really good upside to have the risk-reward and he just doesn't have any. Yep, balance it so out. If he doesn't have any, I don't see the reason to pay 500k for him at all for round one. But another up-and-coming gun that you did mention briefly earlier is Jeremy Marshall King. He had a career season, 58 points per game for the Canterbury Bulldogs. I love the signing for the Dolphins because you got him at like 220,000 a year, which is crazy. Like it was insane. Yeah, that, unbelievable. Uh, insane that no one was interested. Like even as a Roosters fan, I was like, why don't we just sign him? If he plays me stuff, I was cut most of the year. Who cares? Like if he's willing to sign and be a backup, you know, he could be a great, you know, bench hooker for a lot of teams. Yeah. And I, I, first of all, I just couldn't believe that nobody else would get him and you got him at that bargain. Yeah, absolute bargain. I, I felt like at the 
end of last season when we were kind of looking at the hookers for the dogs, we've gone, oh, Jeremy Marshall King's just had a career year. He's playing super well. And they've just got rid of him, who's 220K or whatever. And they're bringing in Reed Marnie for 800K, who had a worse year. I've, I just felt like we'd won the lottery. It's unbelievable how he can go for such a low price. I don't think that it'll stay that low. I think it'll he'll probably get a top up pretty quick. But yeah, I felt like we got an absolute bargain there. Even for you boys at the Roosters, he would have been great for the Roosters mm. because he's got a great passing game. He's got a better passing game than the Cheese does. And he's a ball runner as well. So, Well, we basically paid, paid the same money for Turpin and I don't particularly rate Turpin uh, and certainly for the type of hooker that we needed. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of clubs that could have used him. Uh, but look, I, I'm happy for him because he gets the started hooker again and, and go to the Dolphins and I think he'll do well under Wayne. But for Supercoach, he comes in at a 58 average. So it's super awkward because he was just off being a 60-plus gun at a 58 average yep. and that price point just absolutely kills him. But... As an option as well, I will say, even for draft, I'm, I'm probably going to... Love him for draft. Yeah, love him for draft. I'm probably going to stick clear a little bit. Uh, and I mean a little bit as in I'm not really going to target him unless he really falls and I really need a hooker because... Well, that's what I mean. You're, you're talking about of, um, steering clear. That's what a lot of people are going to do. Mm. I, I think last year I picked him up in one of the last rounds of the draft in about three different leagues just because no one wanted to have a bar him. And I... I think that's going to happen again. I think you'll be able to get him with super value, with low, low in the draft. Yeah, if you can get him like the last round or two, then then I'm then I'm interested there. Uh, the, the things that I think are red flags for him are that when you have a look at his scores, even though he came out at a 58 average, it, I think a lot of people remember the sensational games he had because he had like a few that were really big games. Unfortunately, yep. he was real boom or bust, and that's the best definition for Jeremy Marshall King. Uh, and you can see that from the fact that he had some nice scores where he scored 100 points in round two against the Broncos and absolutely carved them. And I remember that, and he looked really good. And then he had 108 versus the Gold Coast Titans in round 19, and it was similar. Another big score of 85 and 88 in the 80s. But he only actually went 50, uh, 60 plus 42% of the time. And when you have a look at some of the runs he has, the last five-round average for him was diabolical. He, he barely got to a 40-point average, average, and he played good minutes for that last five rounds. Yeah, he basically averaged 70-plus minutes for that last five rounds, and he scored 40, 41, 43, 46, and 34. Uh, he's got a 43 raw base, right. but he tends to like have these big scores and blowups when he goes over for these tries that he runs for, which he tries for, which is great. It's just it's a bit boom or bust for me when you have a look at it, and he gets to that 58 average. The, the last point, though, that I'll leave you with, Kane, that does counter that is that he only averaged 71 minutes a game last year. So if you can pick up an extra nine minutes, it's basically an extra six or seven points for him probably. And that's going to give him a 64-65 average. And that's all of a sudden very, very enticing for draft, although probably not enough value at his price point for classic. Yeah, I I think part of the issue there is we, again, don't know what Wayne's rotation is going to be like. And we're going to have Cody Nicarima on the bench. And does he come on and take some hooker minutes at some point? Or are they just going to use him as a, a fast feet middle or just as injury backup and just leave him on the bench the whole game? Like we, we don't know exactly how they plan to use him. So counting on that extra nine minutes or so, I, I don't think is necessarily a viable option, but I still think that he's going to be dropped late in the draft and you'll be able to get him up pretty cheap. And he's a, going to be a solid hooker in a pretty rough position really. Yeah, because Wayne Bennett's gone for all these veteran signings, and it unfortunately means that most of them are going to be overpriced for round one, uh, and he's another one. You know, if he came in at 400K, which you could have got him at at some point last year, yeah. then all of a sudden you go, oh, a bit of value there if Wayne's not going to play Nicarima on the bench or if he's going to play him limited minutes. Not the case. Uh, let's talk about a big balls pod, and this one is a huge balls pod. Uh, Tessie knew. Geez, I like him. I know that he's got his defensive his defensive problems are well established, but he's still a young guy. And especially when you've signed so many older guys, it's nice to get a few of these younger guys like Gilbert and Nguyen. And look, Tessie's looking for an opportunity. He's projected to start at centre. Not as good as fullback, although defensively for the Dolphins, it's better for them. Um, he's, he's just a great attacking player, though. And I love his attack. If you look at 2021, 
he had a 31 raw base and a base base attack of 42. So he had a really nice floor. Yeah, that's pretty solid. He only played like half a dozen games at centre that year, but there was a 51 average, which, you know, isn't terrible and has a lot of room for improvement considering he's a young man and he's now had a couple of years more in first grade to consider how he's going to play. I think Wayne Bennett will really help him. He's a centre-wing fullback duel. The problem for him is, is again, we're talking about price point. He's 596000 Yep, exactly. 0% owned. Um, I love his tackle breaks and offloads. I think that he could be one of those guys at his age, uh, and motivation under Wayne Bennett, all those narratives that can break out because I think he's hugely, hugely talented. I couldn't possibly risk it. Um, in draft, I'm going to be hugely interested. But look, if, you're going to, if I'm going to pick a, a dolphin out and say... There's some high upside there. You know, this it could be a breakout sort of year. I'm going to pick Tessie New. I do like the signing of Tessie New. I agree that his attacking output is really good. Um, I think job security playing centre is probably a bit of an issue, particularly with guys like uh, Valence Tuare and Brenko Lee and all fighting for the centre spots. Um, with you and Aiken there as well. Oliver Gildart, there's just so many outside backs there fighting for positions. If Tessie comes in and has two bad defensive games, he could easily be gone after round two. Um, but yeah, his upside is great. I'd prefer, super coach wise, I prefer him if he was at fullback. I won't be looking at him while he's playing center. He could be the, he's probably the backup fullback. He is the backup he, fullback. So yeah. If, if, yeah. So if Hammer fails... So that's the other option there as well. If Hammer's doing a terrible job at the back, then they could easily switch the two of them and put Hammer at centre. So when they first mm. signed Tessie, I assumed that that's what they were going to do, that they were going to put Tessie at the back and have Hammer playing centre. But obviously there must be something going on with the deal that Hammer made that they were going to give him first crack. And yeah, we'll see how he goes. Let's talk about... Our controversial pick. I don't think it's too controversial, though, in the mistake that uh, some coaches might make. Don't make this mistake, people. I'm talking to you, Wilfred Z, <laughs> over at the Champions Podcast. Anthony Milford. Now, Anthony Milford is a guy who has sucked me in a, a couple of times, which is still a couple times less than Wilfred. But, look, he's coming off a 41 average in 2022. He only got to play 13 games. Remarkably, 13 is his unlucky number because it is the amount of games he's played for three years in a row. 13 games, 2020, all the way through to 2022. That's one of the issues. And it's not just injuries with him. It's the fact that he's just going to get dropped or not played. You know, like, yeah. And that could happen again. He's coming off a 41 average. So I think that some people might look at it and go, oh, look, new team, back under Wayne Bennett. There could be a bit of value there at 427,000. He's a dual 5'8 halfback. That's pretty handy. He's in a couple of percent of teams. So some people are thinking about it. Massive mistake. You know, he's too old now to really wind back the clock. Uh, if you're going to get anything out of it, it's going to be pretty short term. If you look at the numbers last year, two games out of his 13 games where he actually went 60 plus, and that was a 60 score and a 70 score. He has absolutely no upside anymore, and he's coming up to turning 20. He's 29 for this season. Uh, and yep. he looks like he's really one of those 34-year-old halves to me. I, I think he's really on the tail end. Definitely. I agree. He he looked horrendous on the weekend. Uh, the the change in how the team was playing when Milford went off and someone we'll talk about soon came on, um, it, it was night and day. They looked so much better with Milford out of the way. And that let uh, O'Sullivan take control a little bit more and then Katoa uh play off the cuff a little bit and I'm not convinced that Milford's going to last that position. I, I think he's going to get overtaken throughout the year. And I would have almost said that he could end up on the bench, but Nick Arima is a far better utility player. So he's got more options that you can do more with Nick Arima than you can with Milford. Yep. Nick Arima is a seasoned hooker who can go in there. So it's just, oh, I really think that this uh, could be a, a bad year for Anthony Milford. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Definitely don't put him in your side. It's the number one mistake in Supercoach for round one, I reckon. Do you? How long do you think it'll take? If, if they're going to blood Katoa, do you think they'll persist with Milford for a couple of months at least? Or, or could you see Katoa coming in a bit earlier and replacing someone like Milford? Because I think O'Sullivan's locked in myself. I think O'Sullivan's locked in. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think if Katoa comes in, it will be for Milford. 
the only thing that I can see slowing that down is that Wayne doesn't want to chuck Katoa in too early and that he'll leave him in Q Cup for a, that e- extended period at the start of the year to actually start playing against men because he's only played in the World Cup against men. He's only played the the juniors. He was uh, dropped from the Q, the New South Wales Cup team to go and play flag or cup or something last year. I can't remember which one because he signed with the Dolphins. So the Panthers dropped him out of their New South Wales Cup team. So he hasn't had that exposure just yet. So I think that there's definitely a chance Wayne will want him to go and play six, eight, ten weeks at least in the Queensland Cup before he wants to bring him in for the long term. Yeah, I agree. Uh, He's going to need some experience under his belt. There is some mids and value options available. He's one of them, so we may as well start with him. Um, I am a big fan of the Katoa signing. He's in 24% of teams. He's 216000 so he's very cheap. He's a dual 5'8 halfback. I think it's a bit of a mistake um, because I, I agree with Kane. And, you know, I'm certainly in the past been a proponent of, look, if you know a guy's going to get game time and he's got some reasonable talent and he's low priced, you can always put him in there as enough to start the year. It's a very different season this year. It's it's going to be buys. Definitely. Buys That's the issue. Week. You really need depth. You're going to have to play guys that you wouldn't normally want to. Your 23rd man's going to get a run fairly regularly, probably. Um, it's it's not good. You can't do it. And the other problem that I have with it is I'm a real big stack the halves and, and fullback this year. You know, I want my half stack because I see so much value there and so much upside in huge point scoring that you're going to just kneecap yourself by 25% having a, a place that's just a dormant role of a Katoa sitting at halfback or 5'8", when you could have such good upside guys. You know, if you're going to do something like that, you do it at centre wing where you've got seven slots. Uh, even second round forward, you could do it, although you don't need to this year. But putting it at halfback or 5'8", where you've only got two spots in either of those, it's it's just suicide. So 24% of coaches, I think, I'm hoping will change uh, during the round one TLT, but it looks like a lot of these coaches are going to stick with Katoa. It's an easy trade-in later on. Like You've got to remember, if he comes in in round six, he's not going to have a, a price rise till after round nine, and then he's also got to buy in round 11. Like There's a lot of opportunities to be able to get him in later on and downgrade at that point because you would have made a lot of money. So yeah, I definitely am not a fan of the 24% ownership game. Look, best-case scenario for him, if you start for him from the start, you're going to be sitting there watching him not there for a long period of time and then your other half is going to have a buy and you're going to have no one to play. You're just shortchanging yourself for no real gain. People will say, oh, but it saves a trade later on. But realistically, we could have, say you're doing him in 5.8, we could have Munster and Dewey as our 5.8 combination. We get to, the Dolphins have their buy in round 11, you said? Correct. So then we get to the first big buy round when Munster's going to be gone playing Origin. He could miss four, five of seven, the next seven games, you could downgrade Munster to a Katoa when he, if he comes in then and save up an absolute mozza of cash and spread that around the rest of your squad to get you through the buys. That, that downgrade option just provides so much money for you in that crucial position. His dual flexibility also adds a little bit. And then when he bumps up in price by the end of origin, bang, he's back out again for another gun and you've, been able to get points throughout that whole period without having to worry about getting zeros from Munster, who's also potentially losing cash because he's playing less minutes and not as impactful because he's played Origin three days ago or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think it's a mistake to start with him. He's a very easy bring in around that uh, after their first buy. Yeah, and the reason for it, as far as the reward that you're normally going to get, is that normally people do that because they want to free up cash for round one to invest elsewhere. And we're absolutely blessed by the super coach gods at the moment because in this last week, that many bottom dollar or close to bottom dollar cheapies have opened up that you're not going to need it. And there's all these mid-price guys as well. You, you just don't need it. Like you've got to remember, I think with some of these teams, they're forgetting that you've also got to get points. That's that's the point of the game, right, to score points. And if you get too carried away with making money on, you know, 15, 16, 17 cheap to mid-range guys, 
you're all of a sudden going to find yourself making money everywhere, but it's going to be more money than, than you need initially anyway. And you can actually score pretty badly. So yeah, you've got to really balance it. You've got to get the really good cheapies in, but you don't need to start with enough that's not going to be there until whoever knows except for Wayne Bennett. So I, He could not play all year. He could not, you know. He might really struggle, like Kane said, playing against men in Q Cup, and he just might not be ready. And Wayne Bennett is a stubborn old bloke who might just say, no, we're going to do it my way. That's the thing. It's it's the Wayne stubbornness that is the issue there. Are you going to trust Wayne to go and all of a sudden just decide, okay, no, Milford, who I've specifically fought hard for to bring here, he's going back to play Queensland Cup while I bring in the rookie who hasn't played enough against men. Yeah. I, uh, I just see his mindset being like that. Even though I think Katoa is better, it's probably in Katoa's best interest to have a, a full season of Q Cup. Yeah, it is. And you know what else? As soon as the fans and the media and stuff start calling for Katoa to come in, it's going to make Wayne even more hardened. And he's going to be like, no, F you guys. I'm, I'm definitely yeah, not playing him now. Exactly. <laughs> it's what, he's it's going what he to does. stick his foot in the mud and not move. Uh, let, let's move along to some of these other mids and, and, and uh, cheapy options. The Hammer. Very controversial. Now, I will say his ownership has dropped like from 40-something percent to 33%. So certainly it's dropping off. And a lot of that, I think, is to do with a lot of the content creators and podcasts that are out there because I find myself as as the lone hammer defender. And I don't like to be known as that because I don't actually think he's good. But I just <laughs> don't think he's as bad as a lot of people are saying. So I don't want this to come off at all. Anyone listening, don't don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's a great option. I'm not saying he's a fantastic player yet. I'm not saying the numbers are good. I'm just saying it's not as bad as what people are making yet. And he and he's also not necessarily a play every week, even exactly. If you now hear me out, everyone. Okay, he's a fullback that's going to cost you three hundred thirty thousand. Now he, he's in your centre wing, obviously. He's coming off a 31.4 average, which is dirt, but there's so much context to that. But if you just look at his average of 31 and you go, well, he only scored 60 plus 14% of the time and the years passed about as well, it's really it's so far out of context. You know, he didn't have very many games at fullback last year. And I've had people argue with me about these stats, but they're including a game where he played 57 minutes as well. You want to look at his full full fullback games, okay, when he's been playing a full game at fullback as a starter. Last year, it wasn't great at 41 minutes a game. I told you I wasn't going to defend his numbers. 41 points a game in his 80-minute fullback games. Okay, That's not good, but it's 10 points better than what he's priced at. If you look at the year before, he had three games where he averaged 67 points a game. That's very good, but it's a small sample size, so you've got to balance that a little bit. Either way, though, he's played seven games over the last two years as an 80-minute starting fullback, and for that, he's got a 50s average which is 20 points better than he's priced at. So, yeah, he hasn't been great. His numbers aren't good, but there is still value there. It just, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from him. You may very well get some lower scores. But if you're getting someone in to make money or because there's value there or to play them for matchups, which you should be with your centre wings, he's okay. There, there is some value there. And he could very well score 50-plus a game this year. I actually think there's a good chance. But you know what? You know, worst-case scenario, maybe he scores like 43 a game as an 80-minute fullback. It's still 12 points better. You're still going to make your money. It's just going to be a slower burn, but he's going to be a perfect trade-out in a couple of months' time um, where you, you should make about 100K out of it. So I just I don't see it as bad as what people think. Yeah, he could score a couple of real low ones at the start, and then you, you're worried he's going to lose some money. But... Look, I, I think that it's become easier to avoid guys like Hammer, and I'm more about avoiding them now. Um, but when I was talking about this with people you know, a month ago, my big selling point was we don't have any cheapies project, projected at the moment in centre wing. So unless you're going to spend big dollars there and kill yourself a lot in other spots, you're going to have to buy some of these guys that are 300 to 400K, and you're going to have to fill your centre wings with them aside from one or two spots. We're not going to be in that spot necessarily now, Kane. But when we were, you know, no. Hamper was a lot better option. Even at the moment, though, you know, Perham, you know, got all this, all these accolades and all this interest. I, I hated Perham as a pick. I was like, why am I going to pay 50K more for someone that's completely unproven at fullback? And, you know, why would I bother? I'll just get this other guy that's probably not going to perform at fullback that might make me some money. And the Hammer does have some try scoring ability. Like, he, he can do it. 
Um, and if they do have some big games, you know, he, he could go really well in attacking those. Certainly, I'm looking at that round two and three going, you know what? He could score a 12 against the Roosters and get touched up. Round two and three, he could score a 55 and a 75 pretty easily. And then we're back in business. And the Dragons game, yep. he scores a double and he scores like 85 points. Yeah, he might back that up with a 15 the next week against the Cowboys, but that is the hammer. And you don't play him for those games and you just hope that you're going to make some money. Exactly. Uh, like you, I, I don't think he's the best player in the world. I think he's going to be very rocks and diamonds. If you own him, which I don't think is wrong to own him, you're not playing him every week. You're picking him against certain opposition. You're going to be playing him against the Knights. You're going to be playing him against the Dragons. You're not going to play him against the Panthers or the Broncos or anyone who might be in that top eight because you could easily pull out a 30 and that could hurt you a little bit. But on those good matchups, he has a high ceiling. He could easily go out and crack 100 playing fullback against a lesser quality team. And he, if he does one score around that 100 mark, then you've got two weeks of really good price rises for someone that's priced at 330K. If, if we can also add in the fact that with the price changes that we've, the increase in the salary cap, that price last year was only 300K. And no one's going to turn away a starting fullback at 300K last year. It's, like I said, going to be a bit of a roller coaster, but I think if you can stick it out, you'll get a couple of really good scores. You'll get a good couple of price rises and then you'll be able to bump him up at that round six mark or something like that i don't he's definitely not a keeper or anything like that but look i i think he definitely has value like you mentioned though there have been a few cheapies that have popped up that might make it a little bit more difficult to fit him in because yeah we've just had obviously the the may issue just pop up so taruva's just been given jewel so he's going to appear in majority of teams although i have heard some reports that he might not even get that spot yet and there might be a different cheapy popping in there but either way there's going to be a cheapy winger at penrith we've got khan Pereira there uh we've got alamotti so there's quite a few really good cheap value prospects there and i also agree with you i got rid of perrin from my side last week as well just doesn't seem like there's as much value there at his higher price point. Mm. I don't, I don't see that they're going to earn enough money out of it. And he's not proved anything over the last two weeks of trials that says he's got a high ceiling. So yeah, he, he's moved on. I prefer hammer, but I still don't have hammer at the moment because I haven't been able to fit him in with what I've got. I had him at the start and then I moved him out once we got a few more, a few more options and things. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think it's wrong to own him. Like what I will say is, of like Sloan, CNK, Hammer, uh, Perham. I never had Perham in my side because, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not saying all these other guys are great or even going to be better than Perham, but if there's four shit options, choose the ones that aren't going to cost you as much money. Like, cause yep. you've got to remember that someone like Perham is going to take 50 K more time to make the same amount of money as someone like the Hammer, if they do similar stuff. So it, it's just such a big kneecap to yourself in making yeah. that money and moving them on. And you're going to want to move all these guys online. Nobody's going to want to sit there and look at the hammer or Perham or Sloan or, you know, in your team for a long period of time, you're going to want to see the back of them after a couple of months pretty quickly. And you're not going to do that with someone where you start with a 50 to hundred K handicap on. So that's, that's, that's probably a good way to finish on hammer, mate, because I don't think he's good. Yeah. Well, he also, he looked busy in their attacking structures as well. And you've got to imagine that, having one of the fastest guys in the league, they're going to have some plays set up for him to try and utilize that speed. Uh, I, I just feel like he's got pretty good upside. He's a decent option. Um, I don't have him at the moment, but he could potentially be in my side he, when we get around. He's one of the guys too, where if you are looking in these type of options, you know, much more than a CNK and a Perham, he does have the opportunity to go for a 35 point run, you know, where, it's going to be a try line Definitely. break and a heap of tackle breaks. And he'll do that. And all of a sudden, in a 12-second period, he's gotten 50% of his points. You really want guys like that um, to have that upside. And he's still a young man. And this very much, you know, people go, oh, that's a bit of a narrative you're running on here. But yeah, sure. And we haven't seen much of him so far. But he hasn't really gotten a huge amount of sustained opportunity so far. Uh, and you know, he's still really young. These guys get a lot better if they're talented enough. We'll wait and see. Maybe he's not. But there is a chance that he is. 
Ray Stone is the most owned Dolphins player at 30% ownership. He's a dual second row forward hooker, 246900 The price point hits perfectly for people to jump on him. I am not on him, Kane. I haven't been all year. And I am going to say I, I sort of don't get it. Um, he's coming off doing his ACL in, what, round three last year. Uh, that's not good, returning from an ACL after a few games of football last year. He's played 10 games of football so far combined in 2021 and 2022. And the last two years, he's averaged 29 and 31 points a game. And he's gone 26 and 29 minutes. Now, that's a nice PPM. I like Stone. I'm glad that he got a good contract. But he's going to be on the bench. And we spoke about Gilbert, you know, coming in, playing 13 and coming off 58 minutes a game. You know, if Gilbert plays 54 minutes a game, Sloan's going to get that 26, and that's the same as what he got in 2022 and he averaged 29 points a game, and you're going to get his price point at that. So he's not a guy that's going to score heaps of tries, although he scored a double last year, but he celebrated like he just won the grand final and he was man of the match. Like, uh, it's, it's not going to happen too often. So, like, I, there's other options. I just don't get it. I'd even pay 30, 40K more for one of the other options, and I believe in a bit more. So I'm, I'm really not a board stone, but 30% of coaches are. I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong and for all of them to go great with him, but are you on stone? No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't see him getting enough minutes. I feel like he's more of a, a cult figure pick than a real, this is going to be a great super coach option pick. I, I feel like people just love stone so that that's kind of painting the image a little bit. Um, I, we all know that Gilbert's going to start, but it's been announced pretty clearly. I see them sharing that role. So that kind of eats into each other's minutes a little bit, which isn't ideal. Um, I can't see him playing more than 40 minutes max. And realistically, he's he might get 40 points, but there's no upside there. There's You're not going to get a whole heap of cash out of that. Maybe 100K, maybe, if he gets 40 minutes. But, yeah, I don't necessarily see him getting any more than that. And yeah, it's just not a not an exciting super coach option because I, I do like to try and get... If I'm getting someone around that price, I want to go something lower who might actually earn a little bit more money. Even if they get injuries, uh, I, Wayne Bennett's not the type of guy to push someone coming back from an ACL. Oh, like, they'd want to be getting injuries sort of mid-season for him to really get a real increased role, like if he was going to start and play 50 at 13 or something. Like I just, I think that first six weeks, if they get an injury, I don't think Stone's going to get a massive amount of extra minutes. I think that they'll look elsewhere. Like they, they could even move a Kenny Bromwich to 13 and, and put Aitken at, at second row because you've spoken about how many centers they've got coming in. Like it just, I don't see any way. I love Kenny Bromwich playing 13. I feel like he was going to be a great option at 13. Mm. And then I actually thought Gilbert was going to play on that left edge because Kenny's got good hands. Yep. And I, I feel like he could have been a really good link man playing that lock role. But yeah, obviously they've got their plans and he's playing on the edge and Gilbert's gone into the lock position. I don't know how good his ball play skills are because we didn't really get to see enough of him on the weekend playing in that role. But look, obviously Wayne's got his plans and he'll figure it all out. But yeah, originally I was actually pretty excited with the thought that well, Kenny might actually get a lock spot here because we've got so many edge forwards that can plug in. Even um, Katoa is building up a really nice combination with Lemuelu in both of the trials and in the um, Queensland Cup trial game that we had against the Capras as well. They're, they're linking up really well. So even he becomes a, a pretty good option in the, the near future. So you know, there's so many options there. I thought Kenny could go middle. But, yeah, anyway, back to kind of Stone. I, I just don't see enough minutes. I don't see enough upside. He's probably going to earn a little bit of money, but I don't feel like it's going to be enough for me to be able to move him on comfortably. Yep. And, look, while we're at boring forward options, I'm just going to say that uh, we're not going to talk about the Bromwich boys because I don't think they've been particularly super coach relevant and they were already getting as much minutes as what they were going to get at Melbourne. So I just don't think that it's going to be relevant to have a look at them. Uh, but one guy that is a boring option that is being looked at a little bit is Nichols because he is projected to start at front row forward. It's probably important that we look at the rotations too. Like I think, you know, some smart super coaches will be right in saying Cody Nicarima is going to be on the bench and then they're going to have Ray Stone and and probably Wallace and SASA. You know, 
it can be a bit misleading because Stone's basically going to be middle forward anyway. So he's going to share that 13 yep. role. And then you've got Wallace and SASA to come in for the front rowers. So there isn't as yep. much minutes as what you might think on that type of bench. And when we're having a look at Nichols as a boring option that some people are looking at, he's coming in where he's priced at 369700 That's off a 35.1 average. Um, he's in a few percent of teams. I think that he had a lot more groundswell at the start of Supercoach opening, but now sort of died off with the more options that we've gotten. But I, I don't like him as an option at all. He had three games last year where he actually started, but his minutes were still low. And he still only averaged 35, which was right on his average even when he was starting. And he's always been between a 30 and 36 average. And even at 2021, he got 44 minutes a game and it was 36 points a game. You know, that's two points of value. <laughs> what he's priced at it just it just looks terrible like he's a nice worker he's a nice guy to have in your pack especially for you guys that need that but as a super coach option just forget all about it yeah i'm not interested in nickels at all i haven't even looked at him i didn't even know what his price was until you brought his name up then and i had a look um again another one of those sort of sentimental picks everyone seems to love the goat and um i think a lot of people will just be fans of him and brought him in he's very meat and potatoes Again, no upside. He, he might jag a try and get 60 in one game here or there. So, yeah, I'm not super excited by that. I would actually prefer if I was going to pick a bit of a plotter front row forward, I, I'd be looking more at Wallace because he's got an offload. I, I feel like he's got a lot more energy and looks to free that arm. It's a little bit loose. and He makes a few errors here and there, but he's got way more upside in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm not going to look at any of them though. So there's that. Um, yeah, that too. <laughs> thinking about another guy I'm not going to look at who is a mid-price guy. Uh, Asako, currently projected to get on the wing. Um, look, I've I've never liked Asako as an option. And I feel like that I've been well-founded in that opinion because he's never quite worked it out. Like, 2018, he had a 56 average. 2021, he had a 56 average. Uh, The other seasons have largely been pretty ineffective. He's coming off averaging 36 points a game in 2022 um, with an average of over 80 minutes. So go figure that one out. I think there's an issue with the site. But, uh, yeah, look, 80-minute player for 36 points a game, I'm sure some people will say, look, he's only 26 years old. He can can come in and he can, you know, really bust out underway Bennett. We've seen this story before with him. He's just never done it. Well, that's... That 36 also includes goal kicking. Yeah. Um, look, and that was the other thing. Like, I think some people are saying, oh, yeah, but what if he gets goal kicking? He's had it before. It, it really doesn't help him. Like, his base last year was terrible. Like, it was around 20 on his win games. And when you have a look at his win games, which he had seven of them um, where he started on the wing, he only averaged dead on 36 points a game there as well. So he was he's right, yep. he's priced right where he's going to be starting. And that's with some goal kicking already in there. You know, it's not like the Dolphins are going to score heaps more tries. You could get lucky, Kane, but I doubt it. And like I don't understand it, his price point of uh well, I mean, I guess at his price point of three eighty three, he's not that expensive, but there's all these other options. It's not that expensive, but yeah, there's way better options than that. And I'm I'm not even necessarily convinced that he's locked in that wing spot. Um, the fact that uh, Edric is injured at the moment probably helps his case a little bit. But um, again, another guy we're going to bring up shortly, uh, Bostock, looks like a really good finisher. What would you do with Bostock? Because to me, I was really worried about this. So I really want your opinion because it's for my team. You know, Bostock, I looked at him and I know he's, Apparently going to get to start in round one, but how quickly is he going to be out of the team? Is it going to be a bit of a, you know, one of those wasted cheapies because he's going to be out too quickly for his price rises? I think he might be there until Edric comes back, which could be round three. So we could potentially start with Bostock and then have him drop out before we have any price changes. So I'm a little bit concerned on that front. I don't have him in my side at the moment. If we get some sort of news that he's locked in that spot or that Edric's out longer than we thought or something like that, then I could potentially go there. But um, yeah, at the moment, there's just a little bit of doubt about the role going forward. And like I said, we've got so many people that want to fill in those roles. We've even had um, Hildart was playing on the wing in one of the trials as well. So he's gone from 
playing exclusively in the centres to he's trialling with us on the wing now. So that's just another option there. I just am not confident that anyone that starts in the outside back positions are going to be there yep. by round five. I feel the same. I feel like that's enough time talking about the Dolphins. Dolphins fans, I gave you a full over an hour podcast. So there you go. It's your inaugural season. I'm, do, I'm doing you a great service, giving you an hour when I really don't think there's many super coach options. But, you know, I do hope that the Dolphins go well, Kane. Uh, and I do think that they'll be a bit more, hopefully, gritty and grindier to avoid some of those big losses more than what some people think. But I appreciate you coming on, Kando. It was great to have you. Great to talk Dolphins ahead of your first game coming up for your new team. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting first game. I'm just hoping that the, the Roosters do start slow. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put 50 on you, but don't worry, mate. The next week you might It'll, get back up. That, the, the 50 <laughs> points will be the slow start. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, look, <laughs> you go on some of the betting agencies, a minus 16 line. Oh, been hammering that everywhere. Thanks very much, Kate. No dramas, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. You can jump on the Podmasters page and have a look at that. Um, Also hit Kane up on Twitter and there's also the the Supercoach Hub too, which he administers and and the Podmasters also Supercoach podcasts that you can jump into as well. But for us, we are available everywhere. Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Make sure you subscribe. You get the episode straight away. We are behind a few episodes. so I'm going to bust out like five or six episodes this week. It's going to be a manic week, but I'm going to give everyone the content and I'm going to do my best to get it all out there as quick as I possibly can. And also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Follow us on Twitter. You'll find us there. You'll get to hear about all the podcasts that are coming up. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for downloading. Can't wait to chat again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get 